morning. I almost said good morning. Good evening, everybody. How are you all this evening? Are we here to celebrate one of the most amazing events in human history? Let me tell you. What people don't understand is how this moment was going to change the world. Amen? Amen? Amen. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. God bless you. If you feel like standing, please feel free to stand with us. We're going to sing about that wonderful, amazing cross. When I survey the
God, how you would give your only, one and only son for one such as I, still confuses me. I do not know why, but I am so grateful. As we stand tonight and we look in upon this cross and we, we gaze upon the message that you have for us, we ask, oh God, that you take our offerings of praise. We ask, Father, that you take what's in our hearts. May this day, may we think about where we are, who we are with, and mostly about your presence in this place. And we thank you, oh God, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Jesus Christ. I think about your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, and I've put that place once again. I'm in that place once again. Let's do that first verse again together. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, and I'm in that place once again. I'm in that place once again. Once again, I look upon 
Jesus. In his name we sing and pray and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Thank you. All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. And I'm, not, I'm still not sure exactly what is the right thing to say on Good Friday, like Happy Good Friday. That doesn't sound right. Good Friday sounds a little bit British. Um, so I'm still not sure. If you have a better idea, let me know afterwards. But I'm really grateful that you're here. As I mentioned to somebody, this is, we do a lot of services over the course of the year. This is without a doubt my absolute favorite one. Because Sunday, the celebration of Easter, isn't much of a celebration without the cost of Friday. And so there's a lot of significance to Good Friday. But before we begin talking about Jesus and what he did 2,000 years ago, I want to acknowledge that today, at least if you are Jewish, is another significant day. Today is Passover. This is the first day of Passover. And you might be like, oh, that's interesting, but so what? And so give me about 10 minutes and let me just explain to you why that is so unbelievably significant. Um, And if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 11. It's the second book of the Bible, so it'll be on the left side of your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home. It's yours. Um, As we are jumping midstream into this narrative, let me just briefly share with you what's going on. Let me paint a picture. The people of Israel... These 12 tribes that we talk about that today we call the Jews, then we called Israelites, they are living in Egypt, but they are not living as people who are, whoa, we got music going on. That's kind of fun. They are not living as people who are, I know I am like ADHD, so I will get distracted by it. 
They're not living as guests anymore, although 400 years earlier they were invited in as guests when the first pharaoh just said, hey, come on in, you guys are welcome here. But 400 years later, as the people of Israel have grown, as their, the numbers have grown, new pharaohs began to look at them as cheap labor. And so they are now enslaved in Egypt. They earn their keep by the sweat of their brow under the watchful gaze of a slave driver who is holding a whip, making sure that they don't slack off, making bricks, helping this empire continue to grow and spread its influence and build edifices to the pharaoh that is in power at that point. And day after day after day, they cry out, God, how long? Will you forget us forever? How long will you turn your eyes away from us? How long will you stop up your ears and ignore our cries for help? How long? Their God, Yahweh, the creator and sustainer of the earth, heard their cries, was well aware of what they were experiencing, and he was, in his timing and in his own way, preparing to rescue them out of slavery. They called a guy named Moses. He's one of the most unlikely of people that you might expect to be called. Because when he said, Moses, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses says, I'm not your guy. Anybody else would be better than me. I mean, I can't even speak clearly. I'm a stutterer. Send, my, send, you know, send Aaron, my brother. He's way better at this than I would be. And God said, no, you're, you're the one. Go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And so after much fighting, after much heel dragging, Moses finds his way back to Pharaoh's palace and he stands before Pharaoh, the most powerful leader on the face of the earth at this time. And he says, Pharaoh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, says, let my people go. And Pharaoh did exactly what Moses thought he would do, exactly what God had warned him Pharaoh would do. He laughed at him and dismissed that demand as a joke. Let my free slave labor go? I don't think so. But the thing is, Moses didn't walk into that throne room armed only with a command. He walked in there backed by the power of the living God. And so no sooner did Pharaoh ignore that, that Moses said, okay, well then you are going to experience some really uncomfortable things. And God began to bring plague after plague after plague onto Pharaoh and Egypt. And each of them, if we were to take the time to look at each of those plagues, each of them targeted a different one of the Egyptian gods, a different one of the Egyptian pantheon. Oh, you worship the Nile. It is the lifeblood of your country. Great. Well, let's see how you do when the Nile literally turns to blood. Oh, you worship this, um, you know, your, your god of fertility looks like a frog. Well, let's just see what happens when the frogs themselves begin to multiply and, and begin to overrun your cities. Oh, you worship Ra, the sun god, do you? Well, let's see what you do when your sun is blanked out and the only place that light shines is on the one area where the Israelites predominantly live. Plague after plague after plague, each one targeting one of the Egyptian pantheon. And at first, Pharaoh shrugged them off, whatever. But as they got 
to keep coming one after another, and they got more difficult and more trying. The people started crying out, and Pharaoh began, his resolve began to crack. And he, a couple of times he even said, fine, go, you can go worship your God, but then he changed his mind. And in fact, he made it even more uncomfortable for the Israelites. He began to add more and more expectations upon them and gave them less and less support to the point where the people are like, Moses, just stop this madness. Just stop making him mad. It's not worth it. But God had a plan. And Moses said, we just need to trust our God. He is far greater than any so-called God of the Egyptians. And God had one last plague, one last thing that was going to break the spine of Pharaoh's resolve. And now let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, I will now bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will literally drive you out completely. I know, I know that Pharaoh has balked. I know that Pharaoh has, you know, said he will let you go on now, but now Pharaoh is going to have no choice but to let you go. And so Moses goes back to Pharaoh one last time. Let's jump down to verse 4. And Moses said, this is what the Lord says, and he's saying this to Pharaoh, around midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill. So the greatest and the lowest, it doesn't matter. The firstborn will perish, as well as the firstborn of the cattle. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then, Pharaoh, you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So, Pharaoh, you have been warned. There's one last plague, and this is one unlike you have ever experienced. Even your own son, whom the Egyptians think is divine, your own firstborn son will perish. But... God prepared a way for the Israelites to identify themselves with the God of Israel so that when the angel of death passed through the land, they would be passed over. He was they were told, go into your flocks and choose a lamb out of your flocks, a pure lamb. In fact, let me, let me go ahead and read to you exactly what they were supposed to do. Jump down to chapter 12, verse 5. This was a description of the animal they were to choose. The animals you choose must be a year old, males without defect, and you may take them either from the sheep or from the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all of the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And then you are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of your houses where you eat the lambs. So the Israelites went out into their flocks and they chose a perfect year-old baby lamb from out of their flocks, one that had zero defects, one that had no spots on it. It was perfect. And they took this lamb and they brought it into their home. And for about five days, they lived with this lamb in their home. Their kids began to comb its wool. They began to give it pet names. They grew attached. It became part of the family, which made this next part that much more painful. 
Because on that, as the sun began to set on the night that God had established, the 14th day of the first month, the night that would become known as the Passover, they took that lamb that their children had gotten so attached to and they sacrificed it. And they collected its blood in a bowl. And they took that bowl and they took that blood and they went out to the front of their homes. And they took the blood and they spread it on the door frame, on the top, and upon the sides of their homes. And then they went back inside. And I'm sure at this point the children are crying. They don't understand it. This seems barbaric. This seems, why would you kill our pet? What is going on? We don't know. Yahweh told us to do it and we will obey. Jump down to verse 12. On the same night, God said, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both the people and the animals, and I will bring judgment upon all of the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned to you on the houses where you are, and I will see the blood, and I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So imagine for a moment that you and your family live in Egypt on that first Passover. And you've heard the command that Moses was given from God and he passed on to you. Take the blood of this lamb, sacrifice it, put it on the doorframe of your home. And now you're in your house. And it's getting to be about midnight. And as you sit there, on your straw couch, you hear a cry way off in the distance of somebody lamenting. You have no idea what's going on, but you suspect. And then you hear another cry, a little bit closer, and then another, and another, and another. And every time a cry rings out, it's getting, in, it's getting slowly closer and closer and closer. And at this point, if you're a parent and you have a, a male child, you are holding your child. I think of Ethan right now, my 13-year-old boy. My wife and I would be huddled together holding our boy, sure that at any moment the roof is going to get torn off and the hand of God is going to reach down and take our son from us. And we are afraid. And those cries get closer and closer. But then all of a sudden, something happens. You hear a cry, but this time it's behind you, down the street. And then another one a little further off, and another one a little further off. And in that moment, you realize, we've been passed over. The blood of the Lamb protected us from the wrath of God. We are alive. We are safe. And as, we, as the morning would dawn, they would come to realize also that it had accomplished exactly what God had said it would accomplish. They were also free because this broke the spine of Pharaoh's resolve, and they were free for the first time in 400 years. Now, you might be saying, well, that's interesting, but what does this have to do with Jesus? And I'm glad you asked that question. Because every year, the people of Israel would celebrate this Passover. And then 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up in Jerusalem. 
Typically, we look at Easter as a week long. It begins on Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. Typically, on Palm Sunday, we focus on the palm fronds and the shouts of Hosanna, save us. We focus on the way that the people expected Jesus to be their triumphal king, entering in there to kick you know, Rome out on, it, you know, on its backside and to reestablish Israel as the preeminent nation in the world. That's what we tend to focus on. But what we often overlook is that Palm Sunday was the same day that the Passover preparation was beginning. The streets were full of people. Jerusalem was clogged with visitors because they were there for the Passover celebration. And Palm Sunday was the day that they were to go and choose the perfect spotless lamb that would live with them for a week. And on that same day, Jesus came into Jerusalem and in the same way that that lamb would live with the people for about five days, Jesus resided with the people in Jerusalem, interacting with them, going into the temple and making a, a, a little bit of a, a mess there as he overturned the, the tables of the moneylenders and interacting with people and healing people and having conversations with the Pharisees and challenging the status quo. For a week, they rubbed shoulders with the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is a lamb. And at the end of that week, on Passover, Jesus was arrested. He was tried in a, in a farce of a trial. He was convicted. He was mocked and spat upon and beaten. And ultimately, they forced him to carry a heavy cross through the streets of Jerusalem, dragging it behind him through the streets of Jerusalem until he got to the hill of the skull. That's what Golgotha means, is skull hill. And there, Jesus hung upon the cross. And I've often thought about how beautifully the story of Easter, and particularly Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, dovetails with the Passover. Because in the same way that the people of Israel were protected from the wrath of God by the blood of the Lamb, we are protected from the penalty of our sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And in the same way that the people of Israel were freed from bondage because of that final plague, we who were enslaved have been freed from bondage to sin and shame and death, freed to be sons and daughters of God, freed to begin to live out the purpose for which he created us, namely to be his ambassadors of hope. And I love the way that Peter articulates the significance of the cross. Can we put that up on the screen? This is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Peter put it this way. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you and I were healed. Guys, we don't call today... Good Friday, because this is the day that Jesus died. We call today good 
because of what Jesus' death accomplished for us. Because Jesus willingly went to the cross, because Jesus was willing to be our Passover lamb, so that by his blood, the wrath of God, by his blood, the penalty of our rebelliousness, by his blood, we could be restored back into relationship and freed from bondage to sin and shame. Because of that, we celebrate. And tonight we're going to celebrate in a way that seems fitting given the fact that it's the Passover and it's Good Friday. Matthew, why don't you come on up? Because there are Jews all around the world right now who are celebrating a Passover meal. They are breaking bread. They are eating lamb. They are remembering a time thousands of years ago when the God of Israel redeemed them through the blood of the lamb, redeemed them from slavery and led them to the promised land. And tonight, we, as Christ followers, want to share in a meal as well that reminds us of the time 2,000 years ago when our Savior, our Passover lamb, willingly gave his life for us so that we could be restored back into relationship with our God, so that we don't have to fear death. That's the hope we have, and we have it in him. And so I'm going to ask Randy, Patty, come on up. Byron and Diane, Kathy, why don't you come up here? We would love to invite you to come and get the communion elements. And then once we all have them and you're all back at your seats, we're going to take communion together as a reminder of the greatest act of love in history. So why don't you come and get the elements?
So 2,000 years ago, right at the beginning of that Passover night, the night that lambs were being slaughtered and their blood was being collected and all of the symbolism, and they, the, 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 the lamb was being eaten during that Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples gathered together and he took a piece of bread knowing what was about to happen the next day. And he said, I want you guys to remember what I'm about to do. So this, this bread symbolizes my body, which is given for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me and how deeply I love you. So let's eat together. And then he took a cup. One of the several cups that are part of the Passover meal. And he decided he was going to insert new symbolism into that. And so he said, this cup symbolizes the new covenant established in my blood. A covenant of grace, not of works. A covenant that restores you back into relationship with the Father through faith in me. And every time you drink it, remember how much I love you. Let's take the cup together. Father God, we are so grateful that you hear our cries. We're grateful that you are greater than any enemy that we experience, whether it be a political power or be a spiritual power. You are greater, and we are grateful that because of what you did, through your son Jesus 2,000 years ago, we who were created in your image can be restored back into relationship with you. And that is why we call today good. So Father God, we want to worship Jesus. We want to say thank you. Holy Spirit, help us as we now enter into this time of worship to remember and to celebrate the gift of the cross. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Let's worship together. God, I give you what I can today These scattered ashes that I hid away I lay it all down at your feet From the corners of my deepest shame The empty places where I
It's interesting when you just sit back and you kind of realize what a somber night tonight is. It's not what we typically like feel like on Sunday when you come out. Well, that's spitting. Tonight we count the cost of our restored relationship with our Father. Tonight we recognize that it was my sins that led Jesus to the cross. And it was yours. And I'm grateful that he would have gone to the cross just for me, just for you. He loves us that much. You want to know what love looks like? Just look at the cross. Just look at Jesus willingly hanging there. That's how much he loves us. I think it would be fitting to close out tonight by reading something that if we didn't know that it had been written six centuries prior to Jesus hanging on the cross, we might have thought it was written by an eyewitness. This is a passage many of you know taken straight out of Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins, and the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of all of us. When he went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon him. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He didn't try to argue his way out of it. He didn't try to save himself. He went willingly, driven by love. 
By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the sins of my people he was punished. And he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. God loves us that much. And though the Lord makes his life an offering of sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by the knowledge that my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Yes, it is Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so we leave here tonight not bearing the weight of our sins because he already bore them. But perhaps grieving our part in placing him there. It is Friday, but Sunday's coming. The celebration's coming. And that is what I look forward to for many, many reasons. And so I look forward to getting to celebrate with you in just a couple of days. But for tonight, May we, the church, go out in a somber gratitude for the gift of grace that Jesus purchased for us 2,000 years ago. Lighthouse, I love you. Go be the church. Thank you for the cross.
Keep singing.